Good evening. Welcome to Three Moves Ahead, your number one podcast for deconstructing strategy games. Today, we are covering the city builder deconstruction at Terra Nil. To discuss this, I am joined by Kotaku's Luke Plunkett. Hello, everybody. And from the wilds of Eorzea, we have uh, Final Fantasy Link Shell's uh, Mike Williams once again. Hello, hello, folks. This is the first time I've I think I've ever heard Luke's voice. Oh, wow. Did you know Luke was Australian? Yes, because okay. Luke talks about Australian things all the time. We, <laughs> tend, we do tend to do that sometimes, yeah. Uh, I hope my voice lived up to expectations. I hope this is exactly how you imagined it over it's, all these it's, years. It's deeper and, and meatier than I expected. My Ooh. only other Australian connections are, are watching Auntie Donna and listening to the Weekly Planet. So uh, I, I like it. That's a good that's a that's a very good cross section though. So <laughs> you've got you've got all bases covered. Uh so yeah we're today we're talking about Terra Nil, which is a game that most of us have been pretty excited about. Uh Luke, do you want to give a rundown of how this game works? Yeah, I mean, Terra Nil is a city builder, but it's also not a city builder. Um, like, it's 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 really confusing. Is is like the developers have called it a reverse city builder, which I think is the best way of describing it. Yeah. Um, but then maybe a more helpful way of thinking about it is that the the publishers Devolve actually use a different way of describing it, and I've seen them call it a resource management puzzle game. Um. Both descriptions are true. Like it feels like a city builder. It looks like a city builder because you're on this isometric grid. You're laying down buildings. Those buildings have effects. Um, you know, they have ranges that you need to overlap. You know, very familiar, basic city building stuff. But what you're doing with those buildings and the goals you're working towards aren't necessarily part of the city building experience as we traditionally know it. So the idea that it's a resource management puzzle game um also fits because you're laying those buildings in service of not growing a city or, or achieving some kind of abstract number but terraforming and so you're actually trying to directly leverage the landscape around you um by doing you're, city builder things everything i've just said that to took about a yeah. earth yeah specifically this is this is there's been an environmental catastrophe and you're you're the one who's sent to to clean up the mess I, I, I do think that the puzzle side makes a little bit more sense, especially once you start to get towards the uh, in-game stuff, where you start to get into that weird fiddly, uh, like, okay, I I need to build a, uh, I need to build a thing to make a forest. Before I make a forest, I have to light a whole field for. Uh, flowers on fire first uh so you're always like sort of gaming out like okay how can i drop a thing that connects to thing b to create environment a so that i can get to the eventual environment that i'm actually looking for so that, that's the puzzle part and I, I i think the game leans a lot harder on that especially once you get into the end game well i i feel like the way it's a city builder deconstruction is 
or a reverse city builder is because most city builders are kind of about taking a wild landscape and making it uniform, making it fit a vision of, you know, growth and population. And you're, you're, if you have like a weird hill in the middle of your plot of land, that weird hill is probably going to be flattened out. Uh, forests are going to be turned into like parks that fit on a nice little grid or make a nice little circle. Uh, these things often are like take finding interesting landscape and making it boring. Um, you're putting interesting people things down there. Or this game is the opposite. You're set up with a boring landscape and you're trying to make it interesting uh, and you're doing it by buildings and so on, all these and solving these puzzles or uh, balancing these levers or whatever. Um, but yeah, this is, this is kind of conceptually more the reverse city builder. And it, it, that feeling I think is really important to why this game uh caused some excitement among indie game and strategy game people uh yeah i i feel like we've covered the excitement sorry mike i i, ha I was going to throw this to you to talk about why why this was going an interesting game that was on on top of our list for things to cover this year but yeah for me i mean like i i play that it was a steam next fest demo because i remember seeing it i was like intrigued but i wasn't like really on board until I played the next best demo and I was like, oh, this is a real Zen experience because as you go from sort of the starting burnt out landscape to this uh, lush, vibrant uh, uh, terraformed world, like you get the little bits of like, okay, you've raised the temperature enough and brought enough plants in and the humidity is high enough. Now it's going to rain or uh, you've put enough flowers down, now you get birds, uh, like hummingbirds. And then eventually when you start scanning, it's like, ah, now you have the animals back. And so that feeling is very calming and relaxing, even as I am struggling mentally with, like, how do I get a monorail over there to get rid of this building? Yeah, it's it's interesting because, like, the vibes of this game are they call it the advertising is also calling it like a Zen city builder or a Zen puzzle game or stuff like that. They're using the term Zen, which I think is interesting because like this is an actual strategy game with actual things that you're trying to accomplish. And if you raise the difficulty, especially some of those things can be uh, frustrating or difficult and require a few restarts to actually do. It's not, always in in that way sometimes it's very easy and smooth to to get what you want but the idea that you're you're making forests and getting animals back feels so much nicer than building a bigger apartment building does i think this is where the reverse city building comes into it for me like to explain this, when they say reverse city builder, I mean, I mean, you've just explained partly what they mean in that you're, you know, obviously not doing a traditional city building sort of progression thing. But so like the way the general flow of this game works is that you you start with this dead landscape and you have to plant, well, construct certain 
types of like initial buildings that will clean the soil. They'll bring up water that was buried deep underground. That'll grow some basic sort of grass and turf. You can then move on to changing the humidity levels, changing the, you know, all these other modifiers and eventually to the point where you're growing forests, you're growing your own coral, you're transporting things around on monorails to help them grow in different climates. Um, that's all like that part is Zen. Like that's, it's like you've said, it's, it's nice to build nice things. Um, yes. But for me, the nicest part was actually what comes after that. So like, I know you guys know this because we've played it, but to anyone who hasn't played this game yet and, and is listening, what happens is you, you're in charge of building these things and terraforming this landscape. But then there's a certain point on each map where you've basically done that. You've, you've accomplished the, the, the goals that have been set out for you, where you, whether you need to have X amount of animals back from the dead or covered a, a certain percentage of the, of the landscape in forests or wildflowers or whatever you're then tasked with actually dismantling everything you've done. So you've, you've spent a number of, you know, maybe, maybe hours, if it's a big or tough map, maybe less than that, sort of working really hard building the city. And then unlike almost any other game I can ever think of, it asks you to pack up your toys after, you, <laughs> after you've, like you've, you've got all these things out and you've put them all out on the floor and you've played with them all and you've done all this cool stuff with them. And then the game says, okay, now you have to clean it up and put them away. And like that superficially sounds like a chore. It's like, oh man, like why did I build all this stuff if I now have to go through this methodic? And it's the, the act of cleaning up after yourself is basically that like the game, the game seems to be operating on this assumption that you're in space and there's not a single living thing on the planet and you're dropping structures that are built by drones sort of from space and they're being 3D built on the landscape or whatever. It's very, it's, it's not human intensive work. It's all being done remotely. And you're, you're, so you're building this thing out of, you're building all these structures on this landscape and then it asks you to clean them up almost like, I feel like there's a, there's another layer of above the gameplay act here where it's like an admission of guilt. Like, <laughs> like we are, we have destroyed this planet to the point where not a single thing is living on this planet. Like there is nothing alive when you start this game. Um, and so your job is to bring life back with, through human intervention. But as part of that intervention, there's this acknowledgement at the end that in order for this to, to survive, we must have to completely withdraw. Like we can have zero further impact on this. And so they ask you to, to send little monorails around and, and build all these recycling stations that will remotely destroy everything you've built and recycle it into components that can be used on the landscape or used for future construction or whatever. And while it's a, like, there's not much thinking to do here. Like there is sometimes you may sometimes need to rearrange parts of the landscape in order to get monorails within range of certain structures to do them, but it's not really taxing. It's, it's really repetitive and it could have been the worst part of the game. Like this, this monotonous busy work to the point where the developers put as the only time the game has a speed clock, is when you're doing cleanup because they they know you might want to speed through like how how boring and slow it is. But I thought that was the most zen like experience in that I'm I've I've restored this beautiful landscape and now I'm doing the most sort of spiritual and zen thing possible by completely removing my presence entirely from it. So yeah, there's from... an, another aspect to that is that you're also introducing animals back into the landscape. And like it specifically says, these are going to be the caretakers, but you're on the kind of forest map. You're introducing beavers 
And it's fairly well known by ecologists at this point that beavers are like some of the most amazing creatures on the planet for maintaining a landscape. Uh, So you're like, you've set this system up where you uh, have detoxified things, you've flooded it, uh, given it water, made it start raining again, uh, built all these little biomes, introduced the animals, and then you start taking away all your buildings there, and all that's left is watching little animals frolicking around. And it's it's very nice to like say, oh, this ugly irrigation plant is gone. Now there's wolves here. That's really cool. They know it too, but what, I, I can't remember the exact wording. But every time you clear a map, um, it's oh, appreciate. Gives, yes, you just get a little button that says appreciate, and it's it's like the replay button on a turn-based strategy game where you can like go through the time lapse of your you know, destructive military actions. But this one, you click appreciate and it just, you can just look at the bears wandering around or just enjoy the birds flying over the rejuvenated coral reef. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah, I am going to appreciate this. This is lovely. For for me, the, the, the cleanup, especially at at the higher levels and the alternate maps at the end uh, was the, not, least zen but sometimes it can be like i had one map um and luke was talking about the drones the drones on each map are set in either uh they are water-based uh flight-based or uh, they ride along monorails and i had one it was a water map but the drones were water-based and i could not get over to the last section to clean up the buildings I had. So I had to put down uh, these little pile drivers. Yeah. Um, the river, that, the river creators. That, yeah. That just drill a channel through. And if there's water around, the water will follow the channel. The problem is, is when they activate, they destroy all of the land around them. So I had to drop like three of those. And I was just like, like, hands in head, like head in hands. It's like, oh God, I'm destroying what it, so I had to actually like overbuild to clean up the land that I had just ruined to get the last little bit. So I actually think that part of the game is kind of conceptually neat. I just, before, uh, before we did this show, I replayed the archipelago map, the second one, which I think is probably the one that has the most of that just because of uh, some of the quirks of the design of it. And um, I felt like, you know, when I was building this, I'm using all these ocean dredgers to pull up land to create this like big flat plains uh, that eventually I could turn into wetlands or whatever, but they were just sort of, uh, they were just sort of bland piles of land that I was able to grow some things on, but there was no real like terrain aspect to them. But in order to get my little drone across and in order to get the turtles who need to be on an island, I had to start slicing it up with these rivers. Uh, So I was dropping these excavators and uh, making more water appear in these things. And suddenly this map, which had been like this kind of, big flat plain that I had turned into some wetlands and some beaches and so forth now has a bunch of rivers crisscrossing it now has a little island off the edge that the turtles can live on. Uh, and um, 
I I really like that idea conceptually. Visually, it's a little strange because the like excavator things only like shoot off in straight lines. And so you have this kind of weird thing where the map is just like crisscrossed with these very direct rivers. Uh, and that's not like that's not like the way that most rivers are. Rivers kind of meander, rivers have curves. Uh, and there's I feel like we should discuss this in more detail later, but there's a part of me that really wants to be like, you know, 50 years later, you come back and see these things and see how they've changed. What have the animals done? What have the rivers done? Uh, how is how has this become from like this very scientific straight line slicing? How has it become an actual like river system? Which of these has stayed? Which of these have the beavers turned into something amazing? Which of them have been like, this was a very convenient thing. And now it's just kind of a trench that uh, we have plants growing in and aren't rivers. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of like loaded elements to these things. This is, this is an oddly emotional game in that sense, I feel. Yeah, I think it's this is the conflict between like the city builder presentation and the puzzle game systems. Is there's points and that the the river building is exactly one of them, and the the monorail construction or like there's a lot of there's a lot of buildings or or support structures that need to be placed on a rock, yeah. and rocks are in quite limited supply in a lot of these maps, and so there are there are different things you can build to move rocks or create rocks, but it's still it's still sometimes hard finding enough rocks to put your stuff on. But those are the points where you sort of you want to approach a lot of these maps as a kind of simulation city builder and sometimes it's frustrating to find that in most ways the games actually it's sort of the into the breach of city builders ah that's uh, good like it's it's way more reliant on abstracting everything and and becoming um like a straight puzzle game rather than any of the buildings or the, or the support things that you're building doing the things that they're theoretically supposed to be doing. Like the, 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 I forget what it's called, the driver that you just spoke about that, that creates the rivers is like, why doesn't this, why can't a drone just dig a river? <laughs> like if we're, if we're sitting around here for this long, um, waiting for entire animal species to repopulate, surely we've got time for drones to like just dig a river and not have to blow up half the landscape around them. But like, obviously not because they're more interested in the puzzle sort of push and pull mechanics of yeah. you having to decide way up the destruction versus the benefits. And like, I understand that that makes the game work. Like that's the game that they've made, but yeah, it was, that was one of my only criticisms of the, of the game that, sometimes it leaned a bit too heavily on the puzzle stuff when the presentation and the mood and everything else sort of wants you to be exploring things more scientifically on more of a simulation basis. Yeah. I, yeah. I like that framing. The, the lack of simulation here, I feel like it's a, um, it feels kind of board gamey at times. Yeah. Massively. Uh, where, where like when you're trying to raise the, um, when you're trying to raise the temperature as you are on several maps, uh, you just put a combustor down that destroys X amount of grassland and that X amount of grassland equals Y amount of um, uh, temperature. And that's just like, okay, but what if like, what if this started a fire that got out of control? Sometimes you want the fires that get out of control in this game, which is, I think, a very neat aspect of it. But like, 
what if this created global warming everywhere? What if what if all these systems were like balanced in all these different ways as opposed to just number go up, number go down? And there is some really interesting push-pull in the number go up and number go down, but it is for the most part just that and not like yeah, it's it's all it's all very arbitrary things, and the arbitrary things work for like the scale of game that this is. But the strategy game part of me kept wanting, okay, wouldn't it be neat if the beavers made this into a lake? Wouldn't it be neat if, uh, you know, I was actually managing like all the different parts of the planet at once, so raising a temperature in one place had effects in another place. Uh, what that if we bred a race that, of super wolves? <laughs> yes, <laughs> so, like selectively messing with the food available to them. What if the bears and the wolves like became megafauna again? Because like <laughs> because we we thought we were doing the perfect like we're repeating the same mistakes. We thought we were restoring nature to its glory, but by interfering with nature, we've just created a whole new set of differences or problems. I, I would I would like to apologize for my grand strategy compatriots. Uh that is their grand strateginess speaking through. <laughs> um, I mean, I yeah. like this game as what it is. I just also, there's a part of me that like sees, oh man, this could be, this could be something that hasn't really been done in strategy games. And it's pointing in that direction. Yeah. It's like the setting was too good. Oh, it was, the premise was too good. It's like yeah. they, they, they stumbled on a, on a setting and an idea that was so unique and full of so many possibilities that by releasing a relatively, like, I'm not saying it's simple, but relatively simple puzzle game as the game <laughs> underneath that leads to people sort of going, Oh, and Oh, well, what if this, what if we could do this? Oh, right. what if these machines weren't just made up, sort of thing satisfying a puzzle tile requirement? What if they did actually have enormous climate repercussions by turning it on and leaving it running for 10 years? Uh, have either of you played Per Aspera? Yes. Yes. That's love that's it. A, that's a, also a game where you're like terraforming a planet. That's That one's based on Mars. And that one has a similar kind of issue, I felt, or at least the initial release and the story version of it, where you're just kind of doing one thing at once. Okay, now there's water. What do we do now that there's water? We adjust these things as opposed to I'm constantly trying to adjust all these things at once. And I think Peraspera with later patches and so on has kind of gone more into the the let's be a terraforming simulator but i haven't actually played it to find out um but that's that's a game that i i feel like is a pretty direct comparison to this one and both of them are really neat because of this i yeah. i thoroughly enjoy both Peraspera is definitely a little bit more on the simulation side whereas this you know this really does get into some points of that puzzle nitty-gritty where you know, like Luke was saying, like some structures need a stone. Like, what was I trying to? But I want to say it was a jungle, and the way the jungle thing works is you have to get uh, three posts in a triangle formation, and then the oh, jungle yeah. appears under it. So you're like looking around, and the posts can only, I think, go on stone. So you're looking around for stones, but they can't be too it's, far away. But they can't be too next to cliffs. Them. So it's a slightly different. Oh, that's thing, it. But yep, yeah. Yep. Um, and, and things like that. Like I said, there, there was one, uh, because what the later maps do is they, uh, all of the campaign maps are pretty straightforward. Like here's the mechanic for here. Here's all the stuff you need to do. All of the alternate later maps mix 
too. So you're sometimes trying to find something. Um, I was stuck on one for probably a good hour and a half. And then Rowan had the answer. Um, yeah. It was the thing I said before where I needed to make a forest to get the, the requisite amount of forest cover on the map. But to get a forest, you have to start with burnt land. And I couldn't build any burnt land because uh, in the game, they tell you to create land that's burnt. You got to have like um, Oribos, whatever the, the cover is. It's like basically a field of flowers. Then you put down a big mirror, you light that on fire, and then you can put a forest on that. Like you can make a forest from that. I couldn't figure out how to, like I couldn't get that cover. And then Rowan comes like, it's like two days later. I was like, oh, you just put down the combustor and it like dries out the grass and you can burn the grass. And I was just like, the dehumidifier. Uh, yeah. I was just like, uh. yeah, that's, no, that's that funny though. Cause you mentioned Perestro. That one also messed me up for like, 90 minutes. I was about to email PR and be like, what the fuck? And then I realized, <laughs> oh, I can make dry things. Um, uh, yeah, go ahead, Luke. I want to talk yeah, about sorry. difficulty after. Yeah, well, the it's it's funny you mentioned Perasper because short story, I think Perasper actually falls over because it's too, like Ixion and Frostbunk, it's too reliant on its narrative, not the things it's asking you to do. Yeah. But I think this does a better job of switching things up because like, I think most discussions about this game will center on the base missions you need to complete in order to like, I'm doing massive finger quotes here, but finish the story. Let's talk about the structure briefly. I think that's an important thing, especially because like one of the things about this game is that it is relatively small, small scale and short. Um, so what what exactly are what exactly are we getting out of this structure? Yeah. So when you the 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 experience is basically you're presented with this illustration of the earth or what's left of the earth because sea levels have risen and the, you know the 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 small land masses left are unrecognizable and you've got four separate regions that you need to work your way through in order to finish the game. Um but by that I mean you need to do one mission and satisfy a certain percentage completion point of that mission. And then that will unlock the next region and that will unlock the next region and that will unlock the final region. And when you complete those four basic starter missions, then a little, you get a little fancy set of objectives to finish the final mission. There's a little narrative thing plays out. It's, it's very satisfying. It's very cute. Um, it raises some automatic issues about us, sort of acknowledging our mistakes and whatever. But then after that, you've only like in doing in completing that narrative arc of the game, you've only really played what what do you think about 40%, 30% of the game? It, it's, 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 it's like half and a little bit because it, it also oh sorry, they, they offer on each thing like another map. Oh, and you can randomize it and, and reverse things and stuff. But so essentially after you've finished the story, you can then go back and play more maps. Um, and this is where I feel like the game really starts because like like yep. you guys were saying with Paraspera, which had a very limited set of progressions, so too do the main 
for the main four missions or the first four missions here do as well. It's like build this to set to satisfy this criteria, which will let you build this, which will let you do this, and then this, and then it's finished, and it's all very sequential and linear. Yeah. You sit down to play so- the first post story mission, and suddenly that goes out the window. They give you a completely different set of tools and they give you sets of objectives that overlap. And so you have to complete one objective, but then to do the next one, you need to basically trash everything you did from the first one and then reorient yourself completely and do a whole different set of approaches for the next one, which I feel like leans way more into the puzzle game element of it and i think it's really where the game is at it's it's at its toughest and sometimes it's least um like sometimes there are black holes you fall into where you just can't figure out what to do but on the most part i feel like the challenges presented there are like all right this is where the game's really kicked up another gear and is really where the puzzle overlapping climate condition stuff really starts to shine um so so let's talk about the some of the specifics here. Uh, so these these four sections are basically like a forest map, an archipelago map, a tundra map, and then a ruined city map that you sort of turn into. Uh, I don't know. I don't know exactly what biome it really turns into, but uh, it's it's nice to nice to go through that that one and like that that one also has the most specific evidence of like human destruction there uh it's centered on like an event where you have a whole bunch of uh radioactive materials show up and you have to try to clean those out and build something on top of uh what they have ruined and that that one is the conclusion of the narrative uh also so it's it's fairly cleverly designed in that way where it's like the the human the evidence of humanity fucking things up in the past is now at the center of you completing your journey here where the previously was just like yeah this could be a forest uh this is just a big a big brown spot uh but here you're actually in the city that's actively destroying things um so each one of these has an initial mission and each one of them has specific tools that they give you. For example, uh, in the fourth mission, which is the, the re- reclaimed city mission, uh, you're given an ocean dredger, which is a thing that you place in water, in relatively shallow water, that will pull up dirt from the bottom of the water and put it down to create a nice flat land for you. Um, in that particular mission, this creates some instability that causes the earthquakes that triggers the radiation. But it also teaches you, okay, here's how these dredgers work. Uh, so then when you go back to the archipelago, the first archipelago map is already filled in pretty well with land and islands and so on. The second archipelago map is basically just water with some rocks. You have to use your dredgers and start pushing, creating the islands that you're going to put these things on. And each of these has different, you know, it goes through like progressively more kind of difficult tools to use or weird tools to use. Like the first uh, Tundra map, which is the third mission overall, starts introducing um, uh, hot lava uh, and 
forms of uh, using steam vents and those kinds of things. And then when you go, I think, to the, the second forest map, you're able to use steam vents there. So it's kind of remixing the tools that you use. As Luke said, sometimes your little drones can fly around to do the pickup. Uh, and that's usually some of the easiest cleanup missions. But then uh, the next time you go to that, uh, that biome, the harder map, you may not actually have the flying drone. You may actually have to make little rivers for your drone to to go up and down in order to to do the cleanup. So um, it does an interestingly good job of taking the things that you think you know and remixing them in ways that become somewhat, usually somewhat more difficult. I would say the Tundra one is actually harder on the first map than the second map but other than that i feel like uh these things tend to be uh uh, yeah the second maps tend to be harder there's also a whole bunch of optional objectives um you'll get most of them over the course of just regularly playing some of them are like climate type objectives where when you you know when you make it humid and hot enough then rains appear this one you pretty much have to do on every map in order to get but then maybe there's one that if you make it even hotter than that you'll get certain birds and that's a nice little thing to check off but it's completely optional um and then there's also animals that you get in each map you have to get three of these animals and four or five of them are usually pretty easy but maybe that sixth one you didn't get the first run through. So now you're trying to find the eagles on the, uh, the ruined city map. Um, that was by far the hardest one for me. Uh, bears and wolves were also a little tough, but actually getting the eagles to show up was took me like four or five, four or five little runs. Yeah. The the way it works is you drop a building down and then you have to scan, um, different sections around the map. And if you have the right uh, mix of conditions within the scanning region, the animal will appear. Um, and sometimes what you'll have is like, what was it? I want to say, maybe it was beavers or otters or something like that. Like it needed to be within a beach, but also within a certain amount of like planes or something like that. But Sometimes you will get to the end of a terraform, start doing the animal scanning, and realize that your layout is not conducive to the last like one or two animals. Um, yeah, that happened with my the archipelago game I was doing was I just made too much land. There was no deep ocean for whales to appear in. Um, you only have to get three of the six animals, so you can still progress. But if you want to get like if you want to one hundred percent this game, which is a viable way to. Play it. This is not one of those games that just like drops insane achievements that only only crazy people will ever get. Um, this is a game that I like played through almost all of in a weekend and managed to get all these little things, except for the eagles. The eagles took me a little bit longer. Um, but yeah, some of those things are pretty random. Uh, and the game has a cushion for you to progress if you aren't able to do that. But uh, you still want to be like, oh man, I really wanted whales here. I want to, I want to get all the animals. I don't want to get five of the animals. Yeah, you'll 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 end up finding. And, and, and Luke is correct, and, and and Ron is correct in that once you get to these second maps, and they start throwing together different ideas, uh, the second set of maps 
are where I started to end up with situations where I'm like, okay, I just have to let's reset this entire thing. Um, you can reset back to specific touch points. Um, like yeah. each map has phases and yeah, you there can are, reset just back to the beginning of a phase. But there's on some three of the, distinct phases. There's one that's like the cleanup and like the setup for preparing to bring plant life back. Then you like get interesting and different plant life back. Uh, and then you have bring the animals in and clean up. And each of these phases you can reset to, or you can just reset to the whole map, to the, the yeah. whole map from the beginning. A lot of these second maps are where I had to legitimately, like, I would get to, like, phase three and I'd be like, okay, now I just have to redo this entire thing. Like, <laughs> like I, I screwed up. I I have too much beach here uh, or I, I don't have enough rocks. Like, I didn't plan to turn lava into enough rocks to create the thing that that I need in order to finish this map. So a lot of these second maps are where the puzzle really takes over and you're like, okay, how do I hit all of the objectives and prerequisites I need to complete this? So I feel like this game has some interesting difficulty things where there's a push and pull and there's a realization that you've made mistakes and need to restart. Unfortunately, you know, these, these things only take like, 30 to 60 minutes some some of them may take longer especially if you're playing on a, a harder mode you which basically just raises the price of things um but there is an interesting like element to the game that i think could be expanded upon and we could talk about a bit this a bit after but where you're trying to do one thing just enough and then pull back and make that thing uh, so that you haven't like destroyed the rest of the map by doing that one thing. And it's a very, it's a very kind of ecological climate change science mindset to, to do this. Um, the biggest example I can think of is on the third map, which was the first time I had to restart one. When you go to the tundra, you need to, utilize a bunch of these geothermal vents, create lava, create beds for the lava to run through that eventually you will be able to put rocks on. And this will all, this is how you're powering things. You're also going to be building one of the, one of the um, kind of biomes, mini biomes that you need to do involves the rocks that you built that lava from. You have multiple tools for pulling up the lava, making more of it. Uh, for example, you can you have those excavators that make the riverbeds. If you run them over a vent, then the lava will just start exploding out of it. Um, there's also like little miniature earthquake things, the little thumpers that you can drop on top of it that create like a whole pool around it. Uh, and there's also this this thing that you eventually get that lets you like sweep a donut of land around and then transfer that land somewhere else to build a hill. Uh, and if you manage to do that and hit the lava in it, then you get this giant lava bed. Um, so 
you have this setup that you're making a bunch of lava and you're creating beds and you're running the lava around and it's making the rocks that you need that are usually where you, uh, this is where you, some of your most important buildings can go. They have to go on these rocks. Why exactly? Who knows? It, the game's a little a little dubious on the science sometimes or a little... Uh, <laughs> dubious might not be the right word. It's a, it's a little hand wavy. Um, it, makes for, it makes for a more interesting game that way. Uh, but anyway, so you're doing you're building all this these lava things, but you're also trying to adjust the climate. As I mentioned earlier, there is a point in the game where when you make it warm enough on any map and when you make it humid enough, then precipitation starts. Precipitation is like the number one most important thing that you can do in the game because it starts automatically cleaning all the earth and the water. And you basically have to get it. It's like the halfway point. This is where the map switches from. I need to figure out how to make this be what I want. When in the at the start, it was I need to figure out how to, you know, make as much money. The money I don't know exactly what the money is called, but it's like ecological points that uh, carbon recycling, all the things that you're using to build your drones and stuff. So the first part, you're like tight on the money and trying to build the things that will get you more and get you to the next phase. And then you just like push for the push for the rains or the snows as quickly as you can. But on that tundra map with the lava, as soon as you start getting the snow, the snow starts cooling the lava, which creates the rocks, which means that you can't, you can't use more of the lava. The snow will just come and turn it into rock. So you have to know at that point, like, okay, I have a sufficient amount of power plants. I have a sufficient amount of rock here for my lava beds. Now it's time to pull the trigger on making it snow, getting all that money or whatever. And, you know, this is the point where I realized it was in my first playthrough, that was the only one of the initial maps that I failed on. It was like, oh, I have to restart. I made the snow come too early. I don't have enough. I don't have enough lava to do what I need to do to, to finish this. And I think there, there are several of these push pull things that might be the most drastic one. But this is this is the sort of thinking that, like, I want an ecologically centered game to to focus on. Right. It's what I do in one place should have repercussions in another place. And those repercussions should make me think about which one I'm doing in what order. Yeah. I think it was maybe the, the second flooded city map where I had just straight up built too much land. And I think <laughs> I needed coral. Like you need coral, which means you need deep oceans. And I just, there was just too much land. I had nothing to do. So I just had to back out and be like, uh, okay, let's rethink this. And of course, every time you reload the map, it loads up a, a slightly different random map. So even like once I was like, okay, let's do this again. I was just like, oh, well, that map is gone. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but you can reset back to the beginning, which is what I, I, I do later on. Um, but yeah, you end up with a lot of uh, moments like that where, oh, I've, I've just built too much planes, or I, I did bring the humidity too high and now it's raining. That was one of the ones, one of the second maps when I needed to light things on fire. 
I had to wait for pauses in the rain, which <laughs> weren't all that consistent. Ah, so this is the breath of the wild of strategy games. Yes, yes, a lot of that stuff. <laughs> um, so, yeah, this this kind of ecological push-pull is, if there was a simulation version of it, uh, there are two directions that I would really love to see this game, like a, a Terra Nil 2 go. I hope this game sells well enough that they're like, oh, we can really, we can really go all in on that. And one is the one is the uh, kind of simulation and push pull aspect. Like when I realized there were some maps where I wanted to make it hotter, to make it colder. Uh, those kinds of things were are sort of set as arbitrary points. Um, Whereas in a game like Paraspera, you can kind of see the simulation and go too far in some directions. And that game also, I, I, as I'm talking about it, I'm realizing I had the same issue where like I put too much carbon monoxide or too much oxygen in the air. And so theoretically, this caused fires in that game. And that was kind of annoying, but it wasn't like a thing that spiraled out of control. Uh, this game, I feel like, you know, I just want more meters. Uh, <laughs> Show, show me the toxicity levels, which is are on some maps, but not on others. Uh, show me like all these different points that I can work on to like slightly improve one thing instead of just having a switch go off that says, now you're in this phase. Um, the other thing that I think that this game has... That's really interesting. I talked about sort of the the what comes next aspect to it, like what happens to these straight line rivers that I've made. What comes before is also really interesting to me. And this is where I think most of the science hand-waving is in ways that um, it kind of makes the theme a little bit weird. Uh, so one of the big ones is like, the start of the game, you build power plants, usually wind power, sometimes geothermal or uh, sometimes tidal. But you build these power plants, and then in order to clean up the earth and water around them, you build toxin scrubbers, or I think that's what they're called. Um, what toxins are they scrubbing? How are they scrubbing them? Why are they scrubbing? How long does this take? What what exactly is like the process here? And could that process become an interesting aspect of the game? Because like, there's this very, there's this very pleasant and maybe even hopeful. And I I'm using that word with all kinds of loaded things as those of you who follow me on Twitter know, uh, hope in science fiction is a thing that's kind of a bugaboo for me, but there is something that's like nice and pleasantly, oh, hey, this world is a thing that could be fixed, but we need magical toxin scrubbers. What are these toxin scrubbers? What are they scrubbing? How are they doing it? Why does it work? Um, and that aspect of the game, I feel like, is one that, like, I would, I don't know that I would want to see that as a game unless it's, like, a totally different thing, like a, a Terra Nil for, a Terra Nil for super nerds. But I do kind of want a Terra Nil for super nerds. And I do feel like the kind of magical, oh, the toxins are gone now that you put a building here stuff uh, is is a little bit undercutting of the idea that sort of pervades the game that's like, yeah, we can fix this shit. Um, we just need magical technologies that 
make everything around them seem not bad anymore. Yeah, like I said, this is this is uh, me apologizing for the grand strategy heads among us. <laughs> um, <laughs> my forex goes so far, uh, and then the grand strategy heads take over. And uh, uh, what was the space forex game that you guys were talking about recently? Um, that was just like entirely too detailed. Probably oh, distant dealing... worlds, but no, none of us no, have the... actually played that. The one that started on Earth with the wrecked alien ship, and you have to do all the political stuff, and then you go out. Yes, oh. yeah. Um, uh, the one from the Long War, people. Oh, yes, yeah. yes, yes. And 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 uh, again, we the, the grand strategy heads among us. Like uh, when when we talk in our our little three uh, MA channel, like uh, talk about games like that, and my eyes just like my, my soul starts to die just a little bit inside. But I know the grand strategy heads love it. Just like more dials. It's like I wanna I wanna be able to mess up because one person uh in this house in California on Earth hated my plan to stop the aliens. Like that's the kind of thing that gets ruined going. I know it is. We we want a simulation. And that's, yeah, you want that's you want the full simulation. That's, I think, a relatively important thing. It's like, you know, I I don't know a comparison for a game that you would you you enjoy playing, Mike. But it's like if you're in a racing game against other people, there's a difference if they're ghosts or if they're actual cars that you can crash into. Um, and I think yeah, that's it, it, that's kind of the, the thing that we're talking about here. Yeah, it's the difference between a Gran Turismo and and like Forza Horizon, like right. Like my my mental wherewithal only goes so far. <laughs> but I, I don't think you need to apologize for it. I think this game, as I was saying, the the thematic there there is a thematic issue where there the science in this game is magical and it it feels really nice to use that magic to make the animals come back, right? But it doesn't feel like this is a game that's trying trying to say much beyond, hey, wouldn't this be nice? Or it does feel like this is a game that's trying to say something beyond that, but the actual mechanics of the game are saying, yeah, you use magic and then eventually the animals come back. Uh, and I think that that is an issue with the game. Now, how exactly that would get fixed in you know, my version, you're actually like seeing different toxins and trying to apply different methodologies depending on those uh not like super deep just like two or three different uh, different methodologies uh and a little bit more says, connection between yes. the different regions that uh, also i think would be amazing because like you know we're we're in a world where the idea of like overall climate change is something that we're we're really focused on right um we don't talk about like if you burn grass in one place, then the temperature goes up in that one place. We talk about if the tundra forests catch on fire, this is a thing that could massively escalate climate change across the entire world. Um, so the idea that like you can use a combustor and like pop it up five degrees centigrade, that's a little bit a little bit weird right 
I don't, I don't feel great about the idea that I'm just like causing a little fire here and it's okay because this, this forest is going to be better for that fire in the long run when I'm not having to think about what things are like on the poles. I just go to the poles at a different point. I actually think thematically they almost get away with this by how distant in the future this game is set. I think if this was set in the sort of, you know, one to 200 years time frame, and there are humans living in silos or bunkers or bubbles or, you know, whatever, and we're actively working on the ground to try and save the planet, I think a lot of that stuff applies. But I think the fact they've set it in the distant future in a state where there's not a single living thing on the planet and we are completely hands off sort of pitches the game as a we can do these things that potentially fuck everything up because it was already fucked up to begin with. <laughs> like this, yeah. this place was already trashed. There was nothing left. It's not like we even had slivers of, you know, Nausicaa-esque hidden valleys like surviving. There is nothing. There is radiated dirt and that's it. So anything we do, even if we break stuff by by moving the levers as we go, is still preferable to like what was here when we came back. Which is a cop out, I know, but like I, I think they do mildly get away with this, some of this stuff, and some of the magical hand waving technology stuff as well. By sort of saying, eh, "It's it's Wally, it's you know, it's yeah. how do we know what's scientifically feasible in whenever this game set five hundred years, three hundred years, whatever." Um, but I mean, as I mentioned, one of the things that I was personally excited about, and like the good feelings I have uh, from this game, are like a. Uh, yeah, this idea is possible. Yeah, we're we're doing we're doing things that can make things be prettier. We can we're doing things that can make the world a more interesting, more vibrant, more diverse place. Um, and yeah, when you get into that Wally level, uh, that's a good comparison. It does feel like that's that's the exact point we're at, right? Uh, when you get to that level, it just sort of it, it it lessens that a bit and you know it's probably a different game it's probably a more difficult game it's probably a game that would take a lot longer to release you would need like a dwarf fortress obsessive level developer to to do that but you know i my hope for what this game might do either for terra nil as a franchise or whatever um is that we get to see these things become like more grounded. We get to see a slightly more realistic science. We get to have the narrative of like only a few humans are left and maybe they are in these, these little valleys that have somehow managed to survive. Uh, that's yeah. There's, there's a game that is somewhat closer to what, uh, but it ends up still having the city builder sprawl. I think it's called, Plan B Terraform, which is, I want to say, an early access. I could probably look right now. I actually went on Steam to see. The, the game I was thinking of before was Terra Invicta, yeah, um, which was uh, a game that came out into early access last year. It's, very, uh, it's a whole lot. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I do agree that there is a a larger meteor simulation from this concept. I don't think Terra Nil could be that, 
Um, I, I think probably what they need to, if they are adding more, um, is adding a little bit more combinations of biomes and maybe give us a few more options in how to build things. Um, and I, I think that would be the, the, the fun sort of expansionist idea. But I do agree that there is something interesting in the idea of having this huge set of actually connected land masses where what you do in one affects the other and affects the entire uh, world itself. Um, and trying to sort of balance that on a micro and macro scale. I think they just hit the jackpot in in terms of, like I said this earlier, but I think they just picked a setting that was too good <laughs> and like opened up a Pandora's box that they couldn't contain in terms of possibilities and 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 things you can do with it. Like, I'm not saying this in a negative way at all because I love this game, but like these are the Broforce guys, and and this is this is like a relatively simple like overlapping terrain resource management puzzle game. I, I don't think the answer is hoping that these guys turn around and that Terra Nil Two is somehow this exhaustively um, mathematic and scientifically accurate terraforming simulation, but that the success of this game and that the fact that so many people are talking about, yes, they like the game, but like nearly half my review was just talking about the vibes of the game. Like how much I just enjoyed playing a game that was proactive about restoring a climate instead of reveling in the destruction of it, like a dystopian sci-fi tale. And like, that seems to be the general consensus. And like, like you guys have mentioned as well, it's the hope and the, the, the that feeling of optimism of playing it. I just hope that somebody else picks up on that and can run with it. And like, if this was the first entry in this kind of terraforming climate positive genre, then someone with more, more experience or more scope or more desire to go into those nuts and bolts can pick it up and in two, three years sort of they can have a swing at it. Cause I think go, going on previous games that, that free lives have made, like they supported Broforce extensively for a very long time, but basically only by releasing new characters for it. Um, like we might, we might get new biomes or new, new structures that we can build. It would be great. Yeah. yeah. But I don't think that's answering uh, like, you know, not not that they're complaints, but I don't think that's fulfilling our wishes (laughs) for, for what's possible with this scenario that more than someone who actually wants to get into the nuts and bolts of it might be able to do or is willing to do. Yeah. I, I want to, I want to clarify that I'm not like, I don't necessarily want the the insanely deep simulation thing that I was talking about. I just want a little bit more, a little bit more of the push and pull. Like it's, this is, this is a really good game. As I mentioned, I just like played it nonstop for a weekend and then occasionally still load up a map. Uh, this is not something I'm dissatisfied with. The, the worst I can say about it is that like some of those weird interface difficulty quirks, like the one Mike ran into it will pop up. Um, and, you know, the more people that talk about them, the less those become issues. Um, I just want like a couple more, I just want a couple more little things to create the push and pull that this game has of like, I need to do do this one thing just enough and then I have to worry about something else and I can't let that 
first thing get in the way of the something else like this game is is very good at that and i just would like a little bit more variety in that a little bit more options like just getting new biomes that kind of lean into having slightly more uh different different things like the toxicity that's on two of the maps but not two of the other ones uh why not have that somewhere else? Like this is this helps create interesting things. Um, and just as an aside, I'm looking up this Plan B Terraform thing, and it's uh, this looks fascinating. I don't know if I would love it or hate it, but it, I definitely like that it exists. It looks like what I was talking about, where somebody played Per Aspera and was like, "I like parts of this game, but I want to change other <laughs> other parts of yeah. this game." So we're going to keep the drones on tracks terraforming a desert planet thing but you know we're going to lose the the robot story element and just like go in a slightly different direction for for people that want a different thing there's there's one aspect of terra nail that i wanted to mention that uh is is useful for people to know uh and also i think is interesting for the game's philosophy but this is a turn-based game and it's a turn-based game that doesn't have a strong sense of time uh I don't know if I'm doing all this in like 10 years or 10,000 years, right? You put down a thing, something happens, and then you have put down the next thing. Roughly the only like time issue that's in the game is when it rains because the rain will fix up. Uh, it'll it'll cleanse the the toxins that uh, might be remaining from the first rain or might be uh, left over or might be created by your new river things, whatever. Uh, and so then it'll clear up dirt, like any dirt or yeah. ruined light land, like it'll turn it into grass, which sometimes you're like, no, 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 I was, I was clearing that for a reason. <laughs> I just set that all on fire. You're making me burn it again. Um, yeah. It's so other than the rains, which last for a couple minutes and maybe they, you know, create the rivers, which is like the one simulation aspect of this is the water flow. Um, other than the rains, this sort of takes place on an abstract. Whatever you do next will make the next thing happen. And I feel like that is like the key choice for this game that changes it from being a simulation into a puzzle game, right? Because you're saying in this time span that happens, what can I do with the resources and spaces that I have available to me? And this really jumps up if you start playing on the hard mode, which as I mentioned, makes things a lot more expensive. Um, so now, now it's like, I need to find the one thing that I can put my one irrigation thing on that will let me do the next part of the process uh, that will give me just enough, you know, green energy or I really wish I'd looked up what the currency in this game is. Uh, and it works well for this game. It keeps it focused. It keeps it from falling into uh, falling into pits of frustration that it could a little bit too easily if you had to like wait for things. Um, but it also kind of makes the game feel it, it like it anchors the game as a game, but it makes it feel a little bit off from its sort of scientific theme of how long are we doing this for? How are we doing this? Why are we doing this? 
uh, or not why are we doing this, but like what what are the what is the process here? What is what does this reality look like? And it's it's there's not a reality here. It's nice. It's chill. It's turn based. It's which very rare for city builders. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like that makes it stand out. Yeah, I, I, I honestly forgot it was turn based. I, I it, like Luke said before. A lot of the time, I just forget the time. I'm just like, huh, okay, that's cool. <laughs> uh, like that's I said, a good I, game I, for that. Yeah, until I'm cleaning up, and then like sometimes there's always like one section where I'm just like slowly building my way or um cleaning up the monorails feels a little tedious because you have to go point by point um yeah so like those are the kinds of moments at the end where like trying to figure out and that's when it gets a little puzzly too and i'm just like that's less zen but for the most part most of the experience is real relaxing um, and it doesn't really rush you or anything like that yeah and i i feel like this sort of answers the rain issue that you brought up where you you like want it to rain again it's like you take five more turns and then the rain starts i think is how it works like there's the x amount lay down x more buildings and then the rains will come back um but i'm not totally certain that how it works but that's how it feels like it works when i when i want it to rain again all right, I think we have largely exhausted this. Do we have any final thoughts, Luke? It's a really nice little puzzle game that made me feel really nice playing it. And I'm glad we got to talk about it because yeah, it's nice. I, <laughs> I, I would personally say, say it's, a, it's a nice medium-sized puzzle game. Like this is, this is a thing that's a bit meatier than I was worried that it was going to be because I know some people have played the itch thing and they were like, it's one map, you do the same things on it. And But with the eight slightly different maps, I I feel like, you know, I don't, I don't like to say I get, get my money's worth, but I got, I had a satisfying amount of time spent in this game that didn't leave me like desperately wanting more. It just made me, made me desperately want a, a deeper variation on it but it didn't it didn't make me say i need so much more terra nil in my life um mike how about you yeah it was just right size for me uh like you were saying when i was playing uh the demo i was like well this is very cool but uh, how is this going to expand out into a full game um and the answer is they right-sized it just about right. Like it's the, the main campaign is pretty quick, probably like eight to 10 hours. Uh, and then you get the extra maps where it starts giving you a, a few twists and a few curveballs, uh, And that's where uh, it really takes off uh, for me. Uh, the other stuff is very relaxing, a lot of fun, but like when they start throwing some different ideas at you, that's when it gets really fun. Um, and even then it doesn't, overstay its welcome at that point because it's just uh one new alternate map style for each of those um each of the five regions five four so like a total of 10 maps uh and of course they're randomly generated and whatnot yeah 
Um, so, so last little question, if you were the Kickstarter backer at the $50,000 tier who got to pick the next biome, what would you like to see in Terranil? Oh, I'll go no. first. I want to see an African savanna. Uh, I think that's the biggest thing that's missing a kind of dry land, but also one with a lot of, a lot of variety. Um, Is there a non-flooded city? Um, no, that's an interesting idea. Yeah, I'd probably want to see what a what a standard city city looks like, and what sort of new uh, tools, if any, they'd add there. Um, sort of like, I guess, maybe like the opposite of a dredger, like adding water mm. to certain spots. Maybe something Mediterranean. Mm, I like that. <laughs> something with with some uh very sheer cliff faces sort of undulating terrain something you know greek island style so that there's more gravity um sort of more verticality in the maps um than there is presently um you know a lot of these maps tend to be quite flat have a lot of open expanses something with a bit more reach something going four five six tiles high and then you're yeah. cleaning up just a lovely little mediterranean seascape with the nice bright blue ocean you know i think that'd be yeah you chill. could you could have some interesting new buildings that like deal with the cliffs yeah like uh, ladder monorail slash robot ladder tracks and stuff <laughs> yeah and there'd be no shortage of rocks which would which would solve most people's like most annoying issue with so many of the the late map sort of cleanup stuff where there's never enough rocks there'd be plenty of rocks so <laughs> uh yeah and you could you could add then olive olive orchard olive pasture uh, uh yeah to make all of your olive oil i i i am printed on um impression zeus at a very young age getting the olives is extremely important to me um it's how we sustainably lubricate the drones with, um, yes <laughs> all the olives that we're going to replant perfect um so yeah that should do it for luke for mike this is rowan saying have a good night Three Moves Ahead is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can check us out over there and join the discussion on our forums at idlethumbs.net slash 3MA. The show is supported by listeners just like you over at patreon.com slash 3MA, where you can get access to our super secret Discord server and our multiplayer community. We'd like to thank especially our Patreon producers, including Mark M. and Bucktown Party Whip of 3MA Multiplayer RTS Sessions. And you can always find us on Twitter, where we are at 3MA.